If you're just now joining us online, we're glad that you are uh, uh, with us this morning. I know we have a lot of people out that are sick, and so uh, I'm glad that we have this medium to be able uh, to get uh, you uh, at least the message this morning. So thank you for joining us. Over the last couple of weeks, we've been really looking at planning, and we started with desires, evaluating desires. We uh, went into some detail about God's role in all of that and how to hang on to the good ones and let go of the bad ones and finding those things that truly motivate us. And then we turned those desires into prayers. We turned them into goals and we took those goals and turned them into tasks. And then we talked about accountability, the value of a growth group and uh, or a Bible study group or some kind of group that you could get into that would work with you and hold you accountable to those goals and kind of help you move forward. And I want to finish that uh, <coughs> series this morning, that four-part series is all I'm going to do on this. I'm going to go into uh, some of Paul's letters uh, next week. But uh, I want us to talk this morning. Uh, I started to call this um, message the planning. Good planning has a caveat, you know, but I thought, nah, because I, you know, not sure that word communicates to everybody anymore. So I just uh, said it this way, planning with the master planner, okay? And uh, all of the planning that we do, it really has a warning to it, a condition to it, a stipulation, a limitation. And if, we're, if we forget this, then our planning is going to be messed up. Uh, noble plans, that's a good thing. All of that planning is a great thing. But um, if you forget the master planner or don't put him in in the proper way, then you've got a, you've got a mess on your hands. I, I uh, can remember as a kid doing some backpacking with my dad in Colorado. And uh, in the early days, I wasn't even big enough that he let me carry anything more than a canteen. And that's really all I wanted to carry. You know what kind of a backpacking trip that was? It was wonderful, right? <laughs> I carried the canteen, the tent was there, the fire was there, the food was there, the protection was there, everything was there. But did I plan that trip? Absolutely. It was in my book. I was looking forward to it. There was a plan there. Dad said, we're going to go. This is going to happen. Okay, great. And that morning I got up and I was ready to go, right? Why? Because I had a plan and my plan was to go backpacking. But what did I do? Nothing. I went. And then I became a dad. And now I go backpacking. And I'm the one that has to get the food together. I'm the one that has to, to put the tent on my back. I'm the one that needs to worry about protection. And uh, every, all of that's on me. And I tell the kids, we're going to go backpacking. And it gets on their calendar. And if we don't do that, they're really disappointed. Because they're planning for this trip. But who's really doing all the planning? It was me. And now that I'm a grandpa, I don't do backpacking anymore. Okay? Solve the problem. My kids will do it though. And when I go with them, I carry a canteen again. We're all the way back around full circle, all right? Think of it in terms, think of your planning in, in these sort of terms for just a minute. Because um, I think that a lot of, of what we do really with God is the same way. 
He is the one that provides. He is the one that brings the protection. He is the one that brings the direction. The rest of us, we're just following him up a mountain. And a lot of times the planning is nothing more than I'm going with dad. And sometimes the planning needs to be nothing more than I'm going with God. And this is where we're going. And you're trusting him to take you where you need to go. So let me give you kind of some, some central ideas of sermons, the central idea of the text is, that we'll be looking at and so forth. These are kind of the themes that I'm going to hit this morning. Planning without the Lord is short-sighted planning. That's like leaving your guide at home. Planning with the Lord means staying close to him. You don't get the provision and protection if you're on the other side of the lake. Master, the master plan is still for us a day by day walk with Jesus. And if we can trust the future to the one who owns the master plan and stay close to him, we can be at peace about the future. Okay, now we're going to break that down a little bit. We're going to look at that from some scriptures and I'm going to try to expound on that. So what have I done? I'm a dud one. They tell, they tell you to do in seminary. I'm telling you what I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you and then I'll tell you what I told you. All right. Well, here we go. James 4, 13. Now, listen, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go to this city or that. Spend a year there, carry on business and make money. You don't even know what, to, what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Have you got that yet? I have. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and we will do this and we will do that. As it is, you boast and you brag and all your boasting is evil. Anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it sins. If it is the Lord's will, all our plans need to be flexible in the sense that we should learn that little phrase. If it is the Lord's will, we say it this way a lot of times too: good Lord willing. And we make a plan and we say, I'll be there. Good Lord willing and the creek don't rise. You ever heard that? Well, you can leave off the creek part. Well, maybe not recently, okay, with our water system flooding going on. But, but there has got to be that flexibility in our plan that lets the Lord do what he needs to do. And he's going to anyway. But if we stay close to him, it makes it a lot easier. Proverbs 16.1. To man belongs the plans of the heart, but from the Lord comes the reply of the tongue. Proverbs 16, 9. In his heart a man plans his course, but the Lord determines his steps. Yeah, I had a plan. I was going to climb Mount Adams. That was one of my uh, bucket list things to do. Well, I was 56 year old and went to the hospital and all of my breathing changed. I took that off of my bucket list. You can make the plans. The Lord determines the steps. I'm pretty sure I might get to base camp. All right, maybe. If it's a good little chapter, verse 16 of Proverbs has several things to say about planning. Another one that you will find is that if you, your plans are not going to succeed, if you leave the Lord out of them, you've got to have the Lord in your plans. Planners can be people who overthink things. And the plans sometimes can be the things that get in our way and keep us from really walking in that relationship with the Lord. So you see why this is the caveat. You see why this is the thing that we really need to 
look at to say, mm, there's a limitation here and you need to be careful with this uh, because you can lock into a plan and run it when it's not the plan that God wants you to be walking in. In your devotional this week, Sarah Young, she said this about planners and I liked it, so I'm going to read it to you. She said, beware of overthinking things. Do you ever do that? obsessing about unimportant matters. Do you do that? When your mind is idle, you tend to go into planning mode, attempting to figure things out and make various decisions before you really need to do so. I've done that. There's an unproduct, uh, this is an unproductive way of trying to grasp control. And a lot of times that, what, that is what we're doing with our planning is trying to control. She says, it's a waste of your precious time. Often you end up changing your mind or forgetting what you decided. I'm not sure if you're young, you forget what you decide, but when you're old, you definitely forget what you've decided. If you, I mean, I asked Lori the other day, I said, okay. I said, if we were looking at splurging this next year, if we're looking at, it's something that you said, okay, this is, this is something that I, I really would like to see us uh, change things around in such a way that we would make an investment in this. This is important to me. What would it be? And she gave me an item that she, very material, which is what we were asking for, that she said, this is what I would like. And then I, she said, what's yours? And I told her. And then we were talking about it four days later and I couldn't remember even what my item was. It was so important. We do all this planning for no reason. So I'll probably change it 10 more times. Um, forgetting what you even decide. I write everything down now. There's a time for planning, she says, but it's definitely not all the time or even most of the time. I think there are times to plan and then times to work the plan. Seek to live in the present moment where God's presence awaits you continually. Refresh yourself in God's nearness, letting his love soak into your innermost being. Relax with God, putting aside problems so that you can be attentive to God and receive more of his love. Can you get so caught up in plans and everything else that's going on in the world that you're with God but not attentive to God? You're just attentive to your agendas. You're attentive to your plans. You're attentive to your crisis. You're attentive to whatever's there, but not God. And in that moment, if you can be attentive to God, you will receive more of God's love. And then she ends it this way, that paragraph, and I like it. Your soul thirst for God. Too often, I don't think we realize that what we're really thirsting for is for God. And if we can get, just get next to him, uh, a lot of the stress and the frustration is gone and life can be an enjoyment, right? Remember the backpacking trip? What if I had tried to plan the trip for dad? I would have just been frustrated because in the end, I'm going where he goes. He's taking the food. He'll set the tent up. He's the one I just need to get close to and do what he tells me to do. I thought that was a pretty good paragraph on uh, planning. You may disagree, but uh, it spoke to me. Overthinking things, obsessing about unimportant matters. As America is transitioning, I think lots of people, including myself, too often do this. We're concerned about what's going on. 
I hear millions of ideas about how to plan, how to prepare for what's coming in America. And different ideas even on what's coming. And plans to go with whatever our ideas are about the future seem to come out. I, again, I'm not trying to be political today. I just want to run through some of these. I'm not going to necessarily give you where people think it's going, but some of the ideas that I've been hearing going around everywhere uh, so that you know how to deal with the future that's coming. Let's just run through a few. Trust your government and do what you're told. Uh, what you're told. Of course, this requires that we check daily to see what has changed. And it only applies if the Republicans are in office or the Democrats, depending on your political affiliation. The poor libertarians, they never have to trust the government, do they? I mean, uh, but you see people saying that that's the way to prepare for the future. I love this one. Buy gold and silver. Sooner or later, that is what will count. I have done that. I have some gold. That's about all the gold I have. <laughs> it's all I could afford. And so uh, I've got that one covered. I'm set. Proverbs 3.13. Blessed is the man who finds wisdom, the man who gains understanding. For she is more profitable than silver and yields better returns than gold. Oh, maybe wisdom and understanding would be better than more of this. Proverbs 8.10. Choose my instructions instead of silver, knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is more precious than rubies, and nothing you desire can compare with her. Proverbs 16.16. 16. How much better to get wisdom than gold, to choose understanding than silver. Ecclesiastes 5.10. Whoever loves money never has money enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. That sounds like people I know in charge, doesn't it to you? I was heard a report the other day on all these people that are, well, anyway, you got one million, you want two. Isn't it crazy? It's insatiable. Money hoarders. We look at hoarders that do all that in their house and think these people are nuts. They're crazy. There are people who do the same thing with money. Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters. Either they will hate the one and love the other or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You can't serve God and money. You cannot serve God and money. So what's the solution? Well, maybe Hebrews 13, 5 will help. Keep your lives free from the love of money. Be content with what you have. Contentment's huge in keeping you from having more. If, if, if the hoarders could just be content with what they had way back there, they wouldn't be hoarders, would they? Because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. One more, 1 Peter 5, 2. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you are willing as God wants you to be. Not greedy for money, but eager to serve. Eager to serve. 
not lording it over those entrusted to you, and everybody has somebody entrusted to them, but keeping the being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown that will never fade away. You want to buy gold, buy gold. But in the end, well, we'll just see. Bitcoin. Some people think that's the way to go. I have a coin here that was bitten by a train. I guess that counts. When I was a kid, I put it on a railroad track. This is what happens. Oh, I'm, I'm good there. I've got the gold. I've got my Bitcoin. I'm ready. I hope it's enough. Guns and ammo. Other, other people say that is the best way to prepare for the future. Uh, you're going to be disappointed if you break into my house and, and uh, you think you're going to steal an arsenal. Um, I, uh, I had enough to get me through hunting season. And I hope I'll have enough to get through the next hunting season. I can probably make a couple hunting seasons if I don't do any target practice. I know a guy who bought a box probably five, six years ago. And uh, he's 86 years old, and uh, he's not planning on buying another one until he dies. Uh, he gets his deer every year. How many do you need? He's a good shot. He says it's enough to last him a lifetime. All right? Uh, that's, that's me, you know. I, uh, yeah, I don't know. I think if I stored up stuff, uh, guns and ammo, it would just be so... I'd probably get shot in the first battle and then give somebody else lots of guns and ammo. Why would I want to do that, you know? Um, but, you know, you think that's the way? Knock yourself out. That'll certainly secure your future. Some say store up food. This one I can't really argue with because it seems to at least have some Bible, biblical credibility. Uh, and so that said, I suppose I could do better at that. I'm kind of a grandpa, grandma, you know, like a generation ago, my grandpa and grandma. You know how they would do their garden and then put it all up in cans and had a root cellar and they'd put stuff in there. And so they had enough to get through to the next harvest. I think maybe I have enough to get through till the next harvest. Um, most of what I have is meat because I hunt more than anything else. I think maybe I could take care of all the people on my block for a week if they're not vegetarians, you know. Uh, but, you know, um, don't have a lot as much as I should have probably put back. Proverbs thirty twenty four it says, Four things on earth are small, and yet they're extremely wise. Ants are creatures of little strength, and yet they store their food in the summer. In Proverbs uh, 6, 6, go to the ant, you sluggard, consider its ways and be wise. Be wise. This is wisdom. It has no commander, no overseer, no ruler, but it stores its provision in summer and gathers its food at harvest. How long are you going to lie there, you sluggard? When will you get up from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. And poverty overcomes you like a bandit and scarcity like an armed man. Proverbs 10, 5, he who gathers crops in summer is a wise son. There's the wisdom again. But he who sleeps during the harvest is disgraceful. Proverbs 21, 20 talks about stores here. He says, in the 
house of the wise are stores of choice food and oil, but a foolish man devours all he has. Pretty easy to devour, isn't it? Pop-tarts never last long in my house. Can't seem to get a store of those piled up. So, you know, putting an extra can of beans on the shelf, I think probably is a good biblical idea. Some say you need to move to another state. Find free America. Some say you need just to get out of the city. Some say you need to move to a city in a neighborhood or a town with people of uh, like-mindedness that will have your back. Heard it all. I think maybe the Bible teaches us to bloom where we're planted, wherever that is. Here's the good one. Get off the grid and be self-sufficient. Well, I'm barely on the grid now because I'm so technologically advanced and plus I don't even understand the grid. But to be self-sufficient, I figure I would have to plant a bigger garden. That would be my worst nightmare. I'm not a gardener. I'd have to buy more chickens. I'd have to quit neutering the rabbits and maybe buy a cow or get another goat and take it out to my son's house. I am thinking maybe I'll just keep doing my honeybees and see if I can trade for vegetables later on if push push comes to shove, you know? But some people think that's the way. Diversify. Be invested in lots of different commodities, they say. Too easy for them to take it out of your bank, steal your property, push a button, and your IRAs are gone. So buy things with intrinsic, essential, essential, we've heard that word lately, essential value that will come back around sooner or later. One of those is art, they say. So don't sell your Velvet Elvis, hang on to that. (laughs) Clothing, well-made clothing, they say. You know, in the old days, they made stuff that really lasted. They said that that has value. Antiques, jewelry. I had told Lori just to be on the cautious side to hang on to those plastic pearls and that cubic zirconium I bought her. So we should be good there. Some say get the shot. And you said it's a vaccine. No, it's not a vaccine. I had vaccines when I was a kid. I took them one time and I didn't get the disease. This is a shot, like the flu shot. So some say get the shot, wear a mask, keep six foot apart. That's the best way to prepare for a wonderful life in America that is coming. Others say, no, you take your vitamins, lose weight, get your ivermectin, even if you crave hay and sugar cubes, you know. Do your planning. You move, you roll the dice and you move your mice, right? You want to do any or all of those or any host of the other suggestions that are out there, which, you know, everybody has to decide what they're going to do. There's a lot of things I failed to touch on here. Good for you. I think knock yourself out. I am not going to be the one to tell you to do that. I've been asking God for direction for me and for people around me so that I could help them navigate this and set a course for the future. I am never going to have an answer here. I buried two friends this last year of COVID and I buried another because they got a booster shot. Them's the facts, people. So I'm not telling you what to do. You live or die. 
You have results and consequences according to your decision. I've always been that way with the shots. My kids come to me and said, should my kids get this vaccine? I said, you do your research. Because if that kid turns out to be like Lukey, you get to live with him the rest of your life. And you have to care for that and provide for that handicap the very best that you can. And if you don't and they end up dead, then you have to deal with that. And I'm not making that choice for you. I get a little irritated at the presumption of people who want to do that. I wonder, can I sue them if I have bad results? Everybody who is encouraging me to go one way or another. People, we just need to shut up about this. And I, I really think it's going to go away the closer we get to the midterm elections. Uh, I heard a friend of mine called me or talked to me uh, today and said, Bill Gates and says it's going to go away. So Bill Gates has told us it's going. And it's going. Why? Because politically it doesn't work. They've got to do something before the midterm election. You say, well, Rick, you're getting political. Folks, this is just the stuff. This is just the stuff. You can't make that decision for others. In your Quest study Bible this week, you studied Genesis 16. And if you took, or 15 and 16, if you took the time to read the excerpt on faith here, um, you were blessed with a gem. I want to read it to you this morning. If you haven't figured it out, a part of what I'm doing here by referring to your devotional and referring to the Quest Study Bible and some of the study notes here is I'm trying to, in the early part of the year, maybe get you hungry enough, excited enough to say, I'm going to open the devotional and read it. There was something good in there to say, mm, maybe I will read those study notes in my Bible because there was something good there. I'm trying to whet your appetite a little bit. So it says this, the Bible makes Abraham's faith the model for us all. And it gives you passages where this is done in the New Testament, Romans 4, Galatians 3, Hebrews 11, and James 2. The surprising thing is that Abram never saw a Bible, had a church, possessed no creed, took no sacrament, heard not even one of the Ten Commandments, and knew little about life after death. Yet Abraham's, Abram's faith shows us what really matters. He heard the voice of God and dared to simply believe he could trust Him when He spoke. He risked his life, his security, his reputation, his future, and even his son on the word that came from the one whom he could not see, but in whom he believed. Can there be anything better to demonstrate that it is by faith and faith alone that we are saved? We now have a Bible. We have the church. We have the creeds, the sacraments, the Ten Commandments. But still, God looks for the basics. God is still looking for the heart that will, with reckless abandon, risk all to trust Him. Trust and obey. This has always been the way of faith, so why is it so difficult? Well, we like predictability. We like routine. We like safe. We like secure. 
We're short-sighted. You say, no, not me. I'm really not short-sighted. Well, unless you're looking headward, heavenward, you're short-sighted. We plan for marriage. We plan for graduation. We plan for vocation. And we take responsibility of those areas of our life and all of that planning, usually within the first 20 or 30 years of our life. Now we are stretching that out to 40 or 50 for some folks. But anyway, we plan then in marriage to raise those kids and raise that family. And that'll run us another 20 years raising them. And then we spend some time planning for retirement, usually between those two that can be 10 to 20 years. And finally, we plan for the grave. And I'm not saying that all that is bad. Some of that can be a very noble plan. But don't miss this. Go back for a minute to what Sarah Young said in her devotional. Seek to live in the present moment where God's presence awaits you continually. Refresh yourself in God's nearness, letting his love soak into your inmost being. Relax with God, putting aside problems so that you can be attentive to God. Receive more of his, his love because your soul thirsts for God. And we don't even realize what we're thirsting for. We want the plan. We want to hear what God has to say. But more often than not, it's just so that we can put it in our think tank and decide if that's really the plan we want to use. God, give me your plan. I'll put it with A, B, and C, and then I'll decide which one I want to do. In Psalm 63, 1, it says, Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you. In a dry and weary land, there is no water. We really do have a thirst in our soul for the Lord. And if we're not careful and miss that, we're in a mess. How did God deal with the children of Israel when he led them through the wilderness? Well, there was a pillar of fire. There was a pillar of cloud. It was day by day, moment by moment that he led them. Who holds the future of this world in his hand? This is a church. Easy answer. It's either God or Jesus, right? That's what you do in Sunday school. So it's God, it's Jesus. They hold the future of the world in their hand. So what worries do you have if you're holding his hand? Your planning needs to include how you're going to get next to the master planner. Psalms 23, I want to end with this. Because this is what happens when you're holding his hand. This is what it looks like when you let God be your shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. You won't be in want. He makes, makes me lie down in green pasture. I like that. He's going to give you the rest that you need. He leads me beside the quiet waters. You're going to be led. He restores my soul. You're going to be restored. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. You're going to have a guide through this mess because you're holding his hand. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, and it sure feels that way sometimes. You're not going to fear any evil because he's with you. 
His rod and His staff, they're going to comfort you. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head. That's provision. You anoint my head with oil. My cup is going to overflow. Goodness and mercy. Surely goodness and love, mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And you will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So if your plan includes getting close to God and holding on to his hand, you can expect to not be in want, to lie down at the right place in the right time, to follow his lead and have a lead to follow, to be restored, to have a guide through the past that may seem precarious, that in the shadow of death, in the valley of death, you're not going to be fearful of what's going on. You're going to be comforted. You're going to have a cup that is overflowing a provision in the midst of your enemies. You're going to have goodness and mercy following you and you will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Is that a part of your plan this next year? Sounds like a pretty good plan to get next to the one to whom our soul is thirsty for. And that has to be the thing that trumps every plan. Now we're back to the desires and how he guides in that process. So does your plan include a plan for getting close to him who holds all future plans in his hands? It doesn't if you've never asked him into your life to be your Lord and Savior. And I know everybody here this morning has done that. But there might be somebody who stumbles onto this video at home. And so I want to say to you, that there is a God who loves you, a God that your soul thirsts for, one that you need this relationship with. And your sin is keeping you from that relationship with Him. But He wants to forgive that sin. And He made a way in His justice and righteousness to do that by sending Jesus. And Jesus came, lived a perfect life, died on the cross for our sins, was raised again on the third day. And as he testified, he is God's only provision for your sin. And if you will accept him and receive him whom your soul thirsts for, then you can have the eternal life promised here. And you do that very simply by turning from sin, self, and Satan. By repenting, turning from all that is not of God in saying, I'm walking with you. Believing that what he, Jesus did is truly what he did in its ability to save you from sin and give you life and call upon the name of the Lord and you can be saved. It's got to be a part of your plan. Or the rest of this is just pie in the sky for you. That's where it starts, walking with Jesus. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Thank you, Lord. No, we don't really have to worry much about the future. We just got to hold your hand. Follow you, trust you. And if you say right, go right. You say left, we go left. You say jump, we say how high and we'll ask when to come down. And if we can walk into that, Lord, it just seems like everything fades. And you'll show us what we need to do when it's time. And we'll find a place to live a godly, peaceful, holy, quiet life before you. That will speak volumes to the world 
about the Savior we love. Because Lord, there's just not much of that going on right now. So move us into that place, Lord. Even though we're expecting extreme persecution, we believe that you're greater than all that. So move us into that place of peace with you. Thank you for the moments together, Lord. Love your word. I love to think of this world in terms of your word. Help us to step into faith. Trust and obey. Amen.